Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, after graduating from university and entering the corporate world, high school mates Robin McGowan and James Wayfield struggled to find suits and shirts that not only fit them well, but didn't break the bank. High quality and affordable. So in 2011, at just 24 years of age, they decided to launch a new business called Institu, which is a tech startup selling made-to-measure suits at an affordable price. Seven years later, they're doing very well. Thank you very much. I want to talk to Robin and James about how they came up with the idea, how they made it into a reality without any experience in the fashion industry whatsoever. And what is this new rising trend of customers wanting customised, made-to-measure goods as opposed to mass production goods? And how automated technology has become the backbone of their business, the execution part of the business, the fulfilment part of the business, which allows them to cut down the production times, keep their overheads down, and get on with business. So let's get into it. Robin and James, welcome to The Mentor. You're looking very flash there, you two guys. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, did you coordinate the jackets before you come in this morning? We actually did. Uh, Robin sent me a text message asking what I was wearing. What so. time was that? Oh, probably, I think, maybe 6.55 or so. 6.55. Don't you put your gear out the night before? <laughs> then you just sort of get it all sort of lined up, jacket, <laughs> shirt, pants, you know, uh, pocket chief. I had done that and then I realised James was texting me the exact same outfit that I had planned so <laughs> I had to change last minute. And it's your own stuff I guess. Of course. It yeah, is. yeah. Yep. Well I have to say for those people who aren't watching um, and, and are listening it's uh, they look very dapper white shirts we've got uh, Robin with a sort of a light green looks like a linen-y type material. Correct. Yep. Uh, jacket pair of um, tanned Chinos. chinos. These are Institute Tailored Chinos. Yeah, Institute Tailored Chinos. I didn't see shoes. And uh, James is, uh, oh, he's got the suit going on. He's got the blue and blue. The corporate look, yeah. Corporate look, white shirt. Yeah, button undone, second button. <laughs> it, you could be going to the races. Could be. You could be could going be. to the Everest on Saturday looking like that. Very versatile suit, this one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, you look very flash, boys. I feel like totally undressed here with my black T-shirt and pair of fucking jeans and <laughs> my boots. I didn't even have a shave. You got you have a nice clean shaven too. Is that part of the brand, part of the image, the whole look? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's important to show off what we what we produce and to show the versatility. We don't just want to be known as you know just a simple um, blue suit um, kind of guys. We'd like to show off other products that we do, um, such as you know shirts, chinos, uh, things like that. Your mates from school, or what's the deal? That's it. We went to the same school. Yeah, met in year seven in the in the locker room. You both from Sydney. Both from Sydney. Yeah. What do you mean you met in the locker room? What does that mean? It sounds a bit oh, sus. <laughs> where you store your bag and, and lunch and stuff, not the change room. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then uh, we're in the same house you as mean like a, You mean it's at, like the, the footy locker room? Or, no, or high that? school. So, you know, oh, where you put okay. your bag at the start of the day. And then, um, yeah, been friends since year seven. And then, you know, quite entrepreneurial throughout, you know, the school days. And so sort of brainstormed different ideas and whatnot. Didn't really sort of, you know, put anything to action. Yeah, and I think then, we spoke about it more than we actually actioned anything. Um, you know, come out with ideas, what we do after school, things like that. Um, but, yeah, always had a kind of vision to start a business at some point, um, whether it was together or um, kind of individually. So you're saying to me like year 12 or year 7, I should say, you become mates and that's year 7, that's like 13 or 14 or something. Yeah. Yep. And then right through to year 12, you remain mates. Yeah. And then over that period of time... 
you had toyed individually and together with the idea of going into business? I would say towards kind of finishing high school was when it really started to kind of um, evolve and because that's when you're thinking about, you know, going to uni, um, what you're going to do after. We both eventually did go to university um, and both did, you know, kind of broad-based business degrees, um, but we were thinking about ideas and I remember pitching James ideas around like uh, SIM card readers and, you um, importing cars from Japan, just like strange things. That where I does thought, that come from? I mean, we're, we're, that's mad shit. So importing <laughs> yeah. cars from Japan, like where does that, that <laughs> thought process come from? Well, I think both our dads are quite entrepreneurial. Um, my dad um, always worked in corporate, but always sort of had the passion for starting his own business, but never did it. Whereas Robin's dad's been very entrepreneurial from day one, I think. Yeah. So I think we were both exposed to it in different ways. Um, Where'd you go to school? We were at school in North Sydney at Shaw sure. together. Yeah. yeah. How old are you guys? We're 32 now. Oh, 32, yep. right. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and do those schools, well, does Shaw um, encourage, is that the one with the straw hat? That's a straw okay. hat, yeah, the boater. You poor bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm just joking. But it, does that sort of school encourage entrepreneurial thought? So they never did when we were at school. But no. then we've just recently been both invited back to come and talk to the boys about our, our journey. And I've already previously done that. So I think that they're has been a big shift in that now um, Shaw School is actually, um, you know, sort of trying to instill um, different sort of paths to the boys and showing that, you know, starting a business and entrepreneurial type um, pathways are, are viable. Yeah, okay, good. And they probably need real life examples. That's why they're asking you guys back. Because it's interesting how, I mean, I find it interesting anyway that a couple of young blokes, year 12, start to consider what they're going to do after school. Generally speaking, when I went to school, you just went either I'm going to go and do a trade or I'm going to work in the bank or the government or I'm going to go to uni. That was their alternatives. No one ever thought about it. I'm going to go into business for myself unless your dad had a coffee shop or a delicatessen or something that you actually automatically went and worked because that was mandatory. Um, but generally speaking, my generation never thought that way. I mean, is that – tell me, is that commonplace? Like do you know other guys with, or, and or girls who were thinking that or just, just it was peculiar to you two guys? I mean, I, I think now there are... No, not now, then. Well, then, possibly it was. I'm, I'm sure there were other um, students thinking like that, whether they actioned it or not. Did you I talk mean, to anyone else or just chose to talk to James about it? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it was probably James, maybe a couple of other friends that, you know, um, we spoke briefly about um, what we were doing after school. But again, we both, after that, agreed that we'd, well, not agreed, but we'd kind of thought, all right, let's go to university anyway. I mean, we both ended up in corporate jobs after, oh, after did you? uni for, for, a brief, for a brief period, yeah. So you got your degrees yep. and then where'd you go? Well, so I, I did a um, property degree and I ended up working for a property company yep. and I was exposed to the kind of the retail industry through that um, and then did that for a few years, yeah. And, and then I went you? to Macquarie Bank and was there for four years and studied part-time. So then, you know, worked full-time during the day and then uh, at nighttime at UTS and then... Yeah, I mean, Macquarie was actually a, sort of a good way for me to see what the corporate world's like, and I enjoyed it, and I, and I felt I thrived in it, but then still had this sort of, I guess, this urge to go out and start, start our own business. Can I ask you this, James? Um, our friends at Macquarie, I know them well, um, have somewhat of a reputation. It, did, how much of going into business together with Robin, in other words, going into business on your own, was driven by the fact that that corporate experience was, whilst it was enriching in terms of intellect, um, really totally unrewarding because they pay fuck all. Um, so, you know, you're basically working like a Trojan and uh, you don't get paid much for it. And you also look at your possibility of earning the bonuses that they earn, but you know that you're not going to get there till you're 40, 45. And on the way up, you're going to get mangled. Um, how much of that drove your decision making to go into business for yourself? In other words, fuck this, I'm going to go and do my own deal. So you're right, I wasn't getting paid much and I did see the opportunity to earn a lot of money, but sort of years down the track. Yeah, yeah. But Macquarie were pretty supportive. So when I, well, when we started this business, um, we started on the side, so I still was working full time at yeah, Macquarie. So but side I was, hustle, yeah. Yeah, but I was very transparent and I told my team and my boss that I've got this business, which was actually good because then we're able to sell suits to lots of the guys on the floor. And then when I did say, look, I want to go and do this full time, they said, well, look, if you do want to come back, if it doesn't work out, um, your job's still here, the door's always open. So I had like a 12-month window where I could comfortably come back to my role, um, which, I mean, I thank Macquarie for because they were so supportive and that just made it a no-brainer. I could go, you know, have a crack at at, at Institute full-time and then know that, you know, I could just enter the workforce again if it didn't work out. 
No, because because our listeners are trying to because I know a lot of listeners would work a place like that, you know, and they they don't feel fulfilled because they feel as though their um, trajectory to making good dough or at least being in a position where they can own goodwill is somewhat thwarted when they're in those banking environments or whatever those big environments anyway, and uh, they never know how to make the decision and. And I, well, I guess what I'm trying to get to, I, I, and I understand the Macquarie was supportive and they held the job open. Look, by the way, just let you know, like I would hold a job open for a person who's any good because it's cheaper for me to bring the person back than just me go find another person. Bottom line, okay. Recruitment costs are like 20 30%. Then I've got to fucking train you. If you're no good, I've got to get rid of you. Like it's a process. I'd rather keep the job open. So when you say Macquarie good, that's great. Um, most people would do the same. You must have been good at your job. That's the bottom line. And if there's an efficiency there. What I'm trying to get to is, for those people listening who were in your position, it's okay, well, it's okay in your case at least, to think, hang on, I can do this myself and I can do better. And and it's okay if you're not getting paid a lot because and you think I can make more money or, for, or at least if I'm going to work this hard, I want to be working for myself. It's okay to think that way and it's actually, actually okay to act in that regard. So th- I, I guess what I'm trying to do is validate those other people's thoughts process, thought processes by using you as an example, yep. is that, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that something that actually happened? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I mean, money was a driver and we did see the opportunity to make, you know, you know, in an ideal world, a lot of money. In, or more like, money. Yeah, more money, yeah, but yeah. hopefully a lot of money. Um, and then also we looked at like, we were both young, didn't have mortgages, didn't have dependent families. So like, that's just give it a go, you know, why live a life of regret? Why live a life thinking, oh, what if, what if, you know, just have a crack, um, if it doesn't work out, you'll learn a lot whilst you're doing it. And that was just the mindset we took. And so, yeah, it was just like, give it a go, have a crack and um, see where see where the path takes us. Because one of the things you get at Macquarie is you get, it, there's a, a certain um, refined ability to get out of those organisations. And I, I can't speak for Robin because I have no experience in property environment in that regard, like big property environment but I certainly have some experience in the environment you've been in, James, is you come out uh, quite well-tuned, um, you know, because there's not much room for error working in those environments. Um, everybody's pretty smart, so they don't let you have any error. They jump all over you or they jump ahead of you. Um, you're getting reviewed all the time and they have good learning environments. They teach you well, et cetera. What does that bring to the table in terms of institute your Business. What what did you bring to the table that you got from say that experience you had at Macquarie, and equally your your experience you got it from university, the knowledge you got from university. What did you get out of that? And I'm going to come back to you after that. Yeah. So Robin. there was there was definitely a lot that I took from Macquarie, and you know how sort of the corporate world works, and how um, how to carry yourself in those sort of corporate environments. What was the project management skills did you bring, or did you bring uh, you know Scrum Master? Uh, what what'd you get? What'd you get out of there? I mean, I was in sort of the breaking land, so it was more of that sales experience and that yeah. hustle and knowing that you had to actually work really hard to. So you're a Macquarie um, private wealth in private Macquarie wealth, equities, right. yeah. Yep. And so just knowing that, you know, I guess your success was, even in that role, was purely dependent upon your ability to sort of, you know, pound the pavement, hustle and just get stuff done. So I yeah, took yeah. that approach. And then, you know, in the early days, it was Robin and I going door to door, office office to office, selling suits. And so, you know, I took that sort of, you know, that grit and that hard work um, approach um, to, to institute and then also entered institute is sort of knowing we know nothing about this industry. Like we know nothing. We didn't so no, there's no, there's no between you, there's no tailoring expertise no. or... No, it was like that lack of knowledge that allowed us to think about things differently. We had no retail experience, no no fashion experience, no tailoring experience. So then we had to sort of throw ourselves in the deep end and really learn. And it was that lack of knowledge that I think was our, our biggest strength because we did things differently. And by doing things differently, we've sort of built a business that's very unique that most people would have said, hang on, you're never going to be able to sell a tailor-made suit online. Um, you're never going to be able to sort of grow this to be in business that it is today. Um, and yeah, it goes back to that lack of knowledge. But then going back to your question, what did I take from Macquarie? It was just that in my particular role at Macquarie, it was all down to you to hustle and get stuff done, and that's what drove your success. And, and, and Robin, like, what did you bring out of your property experience? Did you, who, did you, who spent the most time outside of, like, uh, 
working in third party environments, you both it's pretty much been the same amount of time, like a couple of years. I think or, James was probably more because he started a bit earlier. You're probably more along his career than right. I was. Um, probably made my decision easier. That's probably why I left first, um, and then kind of James came. Why did you shortly leave? after? Was it, what, was the same reasons? Or? Well, I'd actually like so when I'd started, then the GFC came later, so I'd moved to like. Post GFC, it was kind of part time. Like I wasn't long out of university, really. Um, but in my role, I was specifically kind of um, exposed to um, like the buying and selling of shopping centres and like doing some uh, advisory and due diligence on that kind of stuff. So I was literally looking at like hundreds of leases a day, um, and I was kind of exposed to what um, tenants were signing up to in certain shopping centers. So I was kind of- were not signing up to. Yeah, yeah. And probably like saw a lot of things that I was thinking, well, if I was a retailer, I'd probably try and do things a bit differently. Um, and yeah, then, you wouldn't be signing a lease. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, Possibly, did yeah. you look at it and say, fuck, like why would you be going to bricks and mortar? Yeah. Like, um, when you're selling, say for example, clothes, yeah, clothing. Yeah. Um, like that seems like the only things that work in bricks in um, shopping centers today is food and entertainment. Um, the rest of the stuff's doing it pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, I like- Exactly uh, right. So, especially retail, uh, clothing retail. Yep. So, you know, it's just too expensive, yep. the rent. Yep. Um, did, did that sort of make you think to yourself, hang on, um, people won't be able to compete if they've got to pay rent, but at the same time, people still need clothes. Yeah. Did that- It definitely shaped our view of how we approached um, our retail strategy going forward 100% um, and how we thought about- where we'd sign a lease or where we'd take a space. Um, and we thought, um, you know, you don't have to be in the busiest shopping center. You can drive your foot traffic in other ways. Um, and that, yeah, definitely shaped how we thought about it. Yeah, because I, my, for me, I mean, I've had shopping, I've owned shopping centers and like they're the most, they're the toughest thing in the world owned. I mean, like unless you have a Woolworths or a Super IGA or Coles or Aldi or something like that, you're stuffed. Mm. And uh, you try to get the most money out of your other tenants. You know, the anchor's just in there just to bring all the other tenants in and then you're not getting enough foot traffic and the rent's got to be charged too high t- for most businesses to work today. Like it's a tough environment. Like if if I, you know, like if you walk around today, especially if you do a, go up a strip of shops, you know, every second shop's empty. It's, and like, it's like retail to me is all, all has to move online. Clothing, especially. Yeah. So, is that be right? Uh, so, I mean, we started. We kind of started the opposite way around. So, we we started with the vision of building a website um, just to sell uh, suits and tailor made suits, um, and then we kind of reversed it because we started getting customers who wanted to come and maybe see a fabric or talk to us about a product. Um, so that's when we kind of. Well, originally we started actually selling uh, and doing appointments through our office, which was above a cafe in the city, a tiny, you know, 20 square meter office. Um, And then as things kind of grew and it got busier, we decided that, okay, why don't we put like just a very basic uh, shop in the city? Um, But it doesn't have to be ground floor. It doesn't have to have a shop front because people were already making appointments via the website. So we thought if we can just get enough appointments, that'll pay for the kind of office slash slash shop. Um, and then, yeah, so our flagship store after that was in Sydney on George Street, um, just near Martin Place, which we've still got today. Um, but all of that was driven through appointments. So um, it was a lot better for us to kind of manage our, our foot traffic because we could kind of um, measure how many appointments we had that week and whether we needed to kind of, you know, hit the phones or um, send out an email or things like that. Yeah. And, they, it, was, yeah, and it was that destination retail strategy that allowed us to sort of, I guess, get rid of a lot of the risks of traditional retail. So we we don't have those expensive shopping center leases. We've got destination retail leases. We use our website to drive um, foot traffic to our stores, which we can then track and we can measure and we can work out the ROI on the specific um, channels that are that are working best. Um, and then again, because we've got tailor-made goods, we're not carrying any stock or any inventory. So it was all of these, these things that we sort of, when we analyzed the the business model that sort of gave it, you know, tick after tick because um, we looked at all the pain points of traditional retail and we said, how can we not carry those same risks? And that's where this business model works really well. And then from there, um, we've now got some street frontage um, retail um, showrooms, but they're in um, other cities, not Sydney, um, where it's a little bit cheaper, the rent, and they're in your non-traditional retail areas, but where there still are lots of corporates. So we're not we're never going to be the business that's paying a $500,000 Westfield lease. We'll always be in these other sort of, I guess, um, 
more strategic type um, locations that work with our business model, which is about just alleviating all the pains of traditional retail. Yeah. So to answer your question um, before, going back to it, yes, I do believe in the, um, in online being very important, but for us it was like our customers were kind of asking for, for, for a store um, and I think you've got to be where your customers want you to be. Um, and so, yeah, I think listening to the customers is important. Um, and so that's why we've kind of got this blend now uh, where we went online to offline um, and it's kind of a blend of both. Yeah, so, well, just explain to me the interaction between the shop front and your website. In other words, where's the traffic getting driven to? It's getting driven to your shop, is it? Kind of. So our our website is really a technology platform linking consumers anywhere in the world to high-quality tailors in in China. Um, But then our showrooms, uh, you're not your traditional retailer. So you'd come in, um, generally you'll have made a booking online, so you've been to the website first, done a little bit of research around the product, the quality, the pricing, and our value proposition. Um, You'll come into the showroom, you'll be greeted by your style style consultant who um, you've made a booking with, They've actually been onto your profile and they've seen all of the web um, pages that you've looked at on the website. They can see through your, you know, tracking the um, IP that made the booking, they can see that, you know, you're looking at black tuxedos or the weddings page. So they have a little bit of background information about what the what the booking is is about. Um, they'll offer you a whiskey, a wine, a beer. They'll sit down with you and they'll find out what the occasion is. Um, they'll find out what's in your wardrobe and then they'll go through helping you create that perfect suit or shirt Um in the showroom, but on the front end of our website. So each style consultant will have either an iPad or a laptop, and then they'll be showing the customer how they can design the garment on the front end of the website. They'll enter their measurements on the front end of the website again, and that order will actually be processed through the website, just like it would for a normal customer at home, but in the showroom. Then that customer can come back and have a second fitting and pick up their suit and we can you know, adjust the measurements if there's anything that needs changing. Um, but then that customer can just jump back onto the website and reorder from home, from work, at any time in the future. Um, so making it an experiential shopping experience, but also a convenient one if you do want to just reorder online. Hi, Matt. What business are you going to showcase to us this week? That's What's for Sale. Thanks, Mark. We've got a cafe in Piermont this week. Yep, I love that area. I mean, some great cafes down there and there's a lot of, lot of residences down there and lots of businesses down there. Tell me something about it. How long has it been in business? What's their turnover, et cetera? Three years, 60K a month, three years at 30% growth per annum. So they're doing a great business and they've got it to a point where somebody can just walk in and take over. Price? 200 to 300. They're, look, they're, they, the business should really be around high twos. But these people are very flexible. So about two fifty would would buy it. I think. And what experience do you need? Do you have to be a barista, or what? What's the deal? No, no, easy menu. Uh, and look, there's they're good good staff down there. You can just take over. Okay, that sounds like a great one. I mean, cafes are actually booming. Everybody, I, mean, I go around on weekends. I never, nobody ever wants to have a cup of coffee at home these days. Everybody's at a cafe. Cafes are just like this new Australian lifestyle. If you want to know more about this, go to allsales.biz or just contact Matt Holland Direct and he'll tell you what's for sale. And if you want to sell something, you let him know and he'll put it up there and list it for you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mark. I'm back here with Robin and James from Institu and we've been talking in the first half about sort of pretty much how they got into this business in the first place. And I, and I don't even really know how to describe the business, but I guess the end product is um, menswear. Yeah. Yep. Whether it be suits or casual or dinner suits or whatever the case may be. And then on top of that, it's technology driven and- Made to ma- measure menswear as well. Made to measure menswear, technologically driven, but with a, uh, a physical presence. Yeah. <laughs> we like pro- to say like old world tailoring with a kind of modern twist. Old so. world tailoring with modern twist. I like it. And um, so, I, but I want to unpack the business model. But before I do it, it's interesting you said um, earlier on that- um, and we see when we go to Singapore, we see when we go to India, we see these joints like thousands of rolls of material, et cetera. Made to measure means what you're talking about is I'm only going to contract the making of that suit once you order it. Correct. So, so I don't have to carry all the all the material. Exactly. So it's a tailor-made suit. So, you'll so come you, don't, in. you don't get stuck with inventory. Exactly. Particularly yep. stuff that doesn't get sold. Or just There's just a cash flow issue. It helps you with the cash flow. Is, is that part exactly, of it? Exactly, but also it allows a customer to design that suit that, they, that they're after because um, yeah. normally, you know, you end up – No, but I'm sorry. Just, I just want to stop you there, James. What I'm talking about here is this is just a, this is a cash flow issue why you're not stocking all the shit. Well, it's, it's your, sure. 
it's one of the reasons that I guess is a risk for big for big retailers. I mean, you've got like big brands in in Europe sitting on you know two to three billion dollars worth of excess stock. These fast fashion players, mm. and for us, that was definitely something that we acknowledged going into a retail business, and that's why this business model stood out to us because you you aren't having to sit on a lot of stock. Um, you just need to sit on the fabric that you think you're going to sell a lot of, and then so you actually buy the fabric. Yeah, so for the for the bulk fabrics that we know are popular, like your navies, things like that, we'll buy a small amount of. We didn't we didn't used to because it was yeah a risk as a small player. Um, but yeah, basically as an order comes through, we'll cut the fabric to the exact measurements that we need, and we'll send that to our tailoring house, and then that's stitched for you and sent directly to you. So okay, so okay, let me just get it right now. So um, in terms of the manufacturing, let's mm-hmm. just start from the back, the supply side. So in terms of manufacturing. Do you, um, does it all get manufactured overseas or get manufactured here? Yeah, so it's all manufactured in China. China, um, right. So, so and and you buy the fabric from where? From mills all over the world. So and, we've, and you ship it to China. Correct. You, well, you, so we've worked with um, Walmarts. We only use 100% Australian Merino wool, Walmart right. certified. Yep. But we buy it from mills all over the world and then an order will get placed and then it will get shipped straight to our, um, our manufacturer in China. Um, but that could often be from you know, fabric um, suppliers and so on that are anywhere in the world. They could be in Italy, they could be in the UK, they could be in China as well. Right. So in other words, you don't carry in the, 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 the sort of the reams and reams of material? We will for the most popular fabrics. Yeah, for the most popular, but, yeah. generally speaking. But it's like you're not going to go and get, say, for the sort of olive green jacket no. that um, Robin has on and might only sell one or two of those a year. <laughs> yeah. So you, d- you don't have like 3,000 metres of that. Correct. Yeah, yep. so, and that's a, that's a one-off. So you're not carrying the, the stuff for it? So, and what would happen? Let's say I wanted to buy that yep. jacket, um, and let's just let's not go through the front end process. But I've ordered it, measure me up. You know, you need you know, three meters of it or whatever. Um, what happens? Like someone in your team rings who? So we've got a fully integrated supply chain. So yep. the order will get placed straight away. Then that'll send off um, a purchase order to our um, fabric mills, and then they'll send that straight across to our manufacturer, and then they'll already have in there sort of their factory system, all the specific design requirements and measurement details, and they'll begin production of that suit. They'll begin tailoring that suit. Um, Once it's complete, it'll go through a final QC stage. Um, The factory has their own QC stage. We've got ours, and then it'll get shipped straight back to the customer if they've ordered online or otherwise back to the showroom. And throughout that whole stage, we've got a fully integrated system so we can see the status of that order and the customer can see the status of that order. So let the customer track it. Yeah. So, um, okay, that's cool. So... Um, in some respects, it, it never really goes to you. It's sort of the customer makes the order and you're just getting other people to sort it out and send it to them, direct exactly. to the customer. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, that, that's nice technology. Um, and then in terms of, um, I mean, because one of the things that kills me, like I, I remember the first day well, I was, uh, I was uh, how old I was? I was um, 20 years old. So I, I got my first university degree when I was 20 um, and uh, I, I started school young, so I started uni Anyway, um, I, did, I needed a suit and I was going to work in an office out at um, Gladesville. Like, like, fucking, I had no idea. Like, I never had a suit. My dad never had a suit. My dad worked in a factory. Um, and uh, so I, <laughs> I went to George Street. My mum said, you better go buy a suit. So I went to George Street and uh, I just walked up and down George Street where the QVB building is today. There was all these tailors. And, like, it's like you were in Singapore or something like that. Like, there were all these dudes had reams and reams of material and you walk in here, choose that and they measure you up there and, you know, the, and they're all trying to get your, your business as you walk past. It was a bit of a shit fight, to be honest with you. And um, I went in this place called Pineapple Joe. That was where I got my first suit, a place called Pineapple Joe's. I'll never forget it. And um, I had no idea what type of suit to buy. Not, not a clue. Not a, not the faintest idea. I didn't know people in the city or, you know, in professional environments wore navy blue suits or grey suits. I didn't know that, or black so I went and bought a light green suit, light green, not not that Still nice, not not not, not, no, not like that. That's that's sort of an olivey color, not like that, like uh, like a bright color. But um, the the material wasn't nice, sort of weighted material like you've got on there, Robin. It was uh, sort of like a light cotton, uh, not cotton, but something like that, like well, very light anyway. And uh, and then the the guy taught me. And when I walked in, I remember there was reams and reams of bloody material. I had not a clue. I didn't know how to pick it. So I picked this light green material. I had a light green suit. I got a pair of brown shoes, a brown shirt, and a brown tie. Um, he made me the brown shirt, and uh, <laughs> I picked the brown tie off. And that was my suit, my very first suit. 
And uh, um, when I went to the office I was working, they must have got the shock of their lives, <laughs> these blokes. I had one suit. I didn't know you need more than one suit. I mean, I didn't even think to myself, what happens when the suit gets needs cleaning? Like, So I found myself, I had no money anyway, but I found myself every Saturday morning taking to the, the same day dry cleaner and getting a dry clean and I realised And um, this suit, which was embarrassing when I think about it, um, uh, I remember they they said to me, "Look, you got to go to the stamp duty's office in town and uh, get some stuff stamped." Because I was like nineteen, twenty. I was a kid, and I was always stamp duty. Bird shat on me and uh, <laughs> shat on my shoulder and ruined the fucking suit. And uh, I had to go get another suit. And they, when I went to work with the shit on my shoulder, I, I tried to wash it off in the little toilets there in Hyde Park, and uh, I was washing off. And they saw it and they asked me what happened. They said, "Look, why don't you get yourself a navy blue suit and maybe maybe get two suits?" So. I took their advice. So what's interesting about this is there is a lot of people who've got no fucking idea. A lot of young men have got no idea. They were like me. Um, you know, I was at university, I got a professional job, but, you know, yep. I was doing commerce law degree. I was doing my law, finishing my law off at night. And it uh, doesn't matter whether you're smart enough to get university or whatever, naivety is naivety and exists out there. I mean, it wouldn't have existed for you guys going to shore. It definitely didn't exist for my sons going to Cranbrook because, you know, they saw their dad where, I mean, I was able to say, hey, what the fuck are you doing? You don't, we can't wish you like that. Um, and you guys have probably had that advantage. But there's a lot of people in the world who don't have the advantage that all of us have. How much of your business is about talking to them and, and sort of assisting them? And, and how does your website accommodate that? Or yeah. is it more designed to accommodate the younger men who are clued up? No, definitely not. It was... Like the reason we have our style consultants is to basically help um, young guys, because we do get a lot of younger guys who are buying their first suit for work, um, give them advice. Like we don't have an agenda where we're trying to sell what's on the floor. We're trying to clear stock or anything. We, we carry a lot of fabrics. Yeah, but which is what happened to me. Pineapple Joe, whatever his name was, exactly. was trying he's to get got a, his fucking he's got green last, shit. Yeah, five meters of green fabric yeah. that you need to sell. But so so we're, we're trying to build, help our customers um, build a wardrobe, trying to find out why they need the suit um, uh, and then kind of guide them if they don't have an idea. And the idea is that they kind of build that relationship with the, with their style consultant um, who who can help them with that next suit or who can say, look, what have you got in the wardrobe? What do you need next? Um, so that's why our style consultants are there and that's why the website is there to kind of educate you and give you ideas. Um, but a lot of guys will need that extra guidance. Um, yeah, and that's why. That's but, why. And ha, but how do you sort of fulfill that or express that in your website? Like uh, are you sort of encouraging – I mean we're, we're now looking at the marketing side, the sales end and, and obviously your social environments, but how do you express that in terms of your customer base or uh, encouraging them to use – to get a style consultant, they've got to come in? Or can they get someone yep. to talk to them online? Yeah, I mean, it's you can do it over the phone, um, but most guys will make an appointment and come in, meet with their style consultant and have a chat about what they're after. I think the website and the social media strategy and all the marketing we do is there to, um, I guess, um, not influence, but um, give guys ideas, maybe get them excited about buying a suit. Um, and then from there, once they come in, it's about having a chat about what they're after, whether it's for a wedding or a black tie event or something for work. Um, I think... Like some of the, you know, the thing, the jacket I'm wearing and some of the, the brighter colors are out there to give guys ideas um, and to get them excited about the product. Um, but but that, I think that's really interesting, um, you know, because it's funny. When I was, I, I bought the suit because I, that was sort of like a uniform. I had to have a suit. What you're talking about is actually get guys actually interested and excited about, excited probably not quite, whatever the word is, but sort of at least curious and interested to do something new try something a bit a little bit different. Yep. Yeah. Um because that actually helps their brand, the individual's brand. I mean, do you talk about the brand, does your style consultants and or your website or does it talk to your customers about listen, you've got to build your own brand like you guys are doing here right in front of me now. Yeah, uh, I think I think we do in to a certain degree and um yeah, the the fact that our business model lets guys create something that is unique to them, not just from the measurement point of view, but through down to the lining that you choose or down to the pockets that you put on the jacket um, or the monogramming that you want in your jacket. Like that's all down to your personal brand. And I think we definitely promote that throughout our stores uh, and the website on how guys can do that. And how do you get this um, programmatic thinking through to your style consultants? Is that something you guys drive or... Do you, drive, do you drive the whole process? Listen, you're a style consultant. Your your objective is to help this young person, this young man here, 
stand out in his office environment and build his own personal brand. And this is the way you've got to att- attach to it. So we definitely have. So as we've scaled the business and brought on more and more style consultants, so we've got 11 showrooms and probably 50 style consultants across across Australia and the US. Um, and so we've created a training academy where we'll try to create a, a, a consistent um, process when somebody does come into one showroom and the experience they get with that style consultant, it's consistent with all of the other um, showrooms. And really it's about sort of finding out what the client's needs are and helping them create the perfect garment that they're after, whether it be style, fit or price. Um, it's about the customer and helping them create their own style or, or their own brand. So is it is it a price? Are you using technology to sell off price or are you using technology to sell a, a final outcome like price, style, personal brand, convenience, is it a price-driven technology or is it something else? It's definitely um, a combination of all the things that you mentioned. Um, Our whole mantra is affordable luxury. Um, So we're offering a really high-quality suit um, for the same price that you'd be getting an off-the-rack suit. Our average price is around about sort of $700 for a tailor-made suit. Um, And then we play on convenience as well because, you know, you can pop into a showroom um, or you can reorder online. Um, but also we play on the experience where we try to make it a very high-end experience when someone can have a wine or a whiskey or a beer and get that old world tailoring experience with that style consultant while they create their own their own garment. One of so how do you use social mediums? Uh, so, I mean, we use most of them um, and it's a way of either promoting customers who wear our stuff, um, you know, influencers who might wear our stuff. Um, so someone comes in and looks and looking nice. You yeah, say, can yeah, you come yeah. put a photograph up, can I tag you? Yeah. Will you tag your friends? Definitely. And like we love putting up photos of customers who just have picked up their suit and they just love it. I think it's the best kind of capture yeah, totally. moment for us and for other guys, not just to see like a model in a suit, like yep. an actual guy who's come in, um, you know, and got his first suit. I think it's, it, w- it works wonders for us and that's how we generate referrals and, and extra business. You know what would be cool is if uh, some of you guys get next door to a barbershop or something like that and they and uh, you send the dude in and just say, listen, just been stylized. here's a suit and he's gone and he's got, he got his hair <laughs> yeah. sorted, he's got the part going, he's, just, he's been shaven up or whatever <laughs> the deal is. And he's got our bag of fruit on. How good does he look? You know, I mean, that, that's pretty oh, cool. I like it. It's a good idea. Exactly. You know, can you imagine if you had that next door? Like, uh, that's a big experience. So uh, I guess what you guys are talking about is the experience of buying a suit. Yep. Not the fucking pain in the neck. There could can be, like it was for me. The experience of buying a suit, the experience of feeling really good about yourself once you bought it. You haven't spent too much. You haven't copped it in the neck for the price. Um, uh, and it is contemporary. Sort of, you know, it's for your... Is yep. it your age group? Are we talking about all, all ages? All yep. Yeah, yeah, all ages. And, and as the brand evolved and we started to get more customers, you know, guys at work would start re- referring their bosses and their boss would come in and he's like, oh, I've, I had this suit back in the day that I loved, but they don't make it anymore. And he'd bring his jacket in, we could match the fabric and he could kind of recreate that old suit that he loved in a new way. Um, that's something cool uh, that we we're able to do. Um, I think back to the experience, I think that's what retail needs to get to. I think providing that experience will keep retailers... Um, alive, and you mentioned the barbershop thing. So we're moving into our new um, David Jones Center uh, next March as part of their new um, uh, menswear um, retail precinct, and that'll be there'll be a whiskey bar in there and a barbershop. So even David Jones and uh, you know really old department store is, is thinking like that, and um, you know we're proud to be part of um, that kind of evolution and, and where retail needs to get to. I think to and keep no, and that makes coming sense in. to me too, because otherwise, if if it's just a commodity. Um, if if you promote yourself just as a commodity, then people will treat you like a commodity and they're just going to look at your price and they're going to look at you at speed and uh, just give me the same shit as everyone else has got. If you're promoting yourself as a well-priced but something other than a commodity like the experience and you offer the experience, it's cool to go there and get haircut, shave and a new bag of fruit. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Yep. That, and if you did that three times a year, you know, I mean, you'd be happy with that. And uh, I think the customer would have, the, the, the general public would be happy, happy with that. I mean, I, I love that idea. I would do that. If if you said to me, Mark, come on, we'll, we'll make a suit for you. And I go, oh, mate, I've had that before. Like, you know, can you come to my office? I'd be saying, can you come to me? We, I'm we not can going do to that, you. by the way. We yeah, can I know, come but, I mean, but, I, but I'd be saying, can you come to me? And for me, once you know, it's a punish. Like, I'd be like, oh, my God, you know. Uh, and I was ambassador of Giorgio Armani for years and years and years, um, up until about three years ago. And I still get big discounts if I want to go and buy a suit. Um which I don't wear suits that much anymore, but if I want to. And, uh, but I used to find it like a pain in the neck. 
have to go down there and just, and then they started to come to me. It was just, I, I found it like a massive hassle. And uh, that sounds really spoiled brat stuff um, because, you know, like I was getting Giorgio money suits for free and, uh, you know, just as long as I wear it. Um, and, but if I, if, so I didn't find the experience good. Uh, it didn't suit me. But if the experience was, come on, we just fuck around a little bit, we, you know, you can have a shave, you know, like you have experience of a shave. Like I, I can't remember the last time I went to a proper barber and had a, you know, proper grooming done, like shave-wise, get yourself a haircut, um, you know, maybe put the hot towel on your face, have a whiskey or a coffee or something like that. Yeah. Um, on top of, you know, us fussing around about your clothes and we'll, we'll, we'll get you into some modern gear, something cool. Yep. Plus, I must say, um, picking stuff off the rack to me I don't like because the rack's limited to their their ability to carry their own inventory. Yep. Like if you go to the Giorgio Money store in Sydney and then go to the Giorgio Money store in, you know, Italy, it's a massive difference. What you've got about, or New York, what you go and buy, it's crazy. Whereas going to you, you've got all the swatches of all the materials that I can, yep. that I can get and you've got all the shapes and sizes and styles and yep. Mix and match and everything yeah. else. You can bring us a photo if you want. Yeah, totally. We'll, we'll, and and we'll you do the it. shirts and everything? Yep. You do yep. the shirts, yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, a lot of guys who are time poor, they might come in once, get fitted, and then they'll just send us an email or call their style consultant and say, hey, I need like five more of those white shirts that I got yeah, last yeah, yeah. time. Same exact fit. Um, and then we'll just kind of ship them straight to them. Uh, a mate of mine nice just made these great shirts. I know this is a little bit of a weird side story again, but a mate of mine, his name was Mark Keery. He owns Marks. We set up Marks. And he's made these unbelievable – I still got a striped shirt. I never wear it because he started off doing striped shirts. That was his go. And uh, I only kept it because, unfortunately, he died from cancer, and so I just kept it. I've never worn it. I mean, the last thing I got, a photo of me, I got of me in that shirt was like 20 years ago. I got a massive black eye. I got in a stink up in, um, up in Gold Coast, and I had the shirt on. So I got a photograph of me. It wasn't me who took the photo. Someone else took the photo with my eye sort of swelled up. I've kept that photo just to mem- be memory of my mate. But he had this collar called the Elvis collar. And I said, fucking love this collar. Like it was like a, a good collar to have when you had an open neck shirt on. Nice and high. Yeah, like nice and high. Sat well. Yeah, sat, yep. sat well. Because yep. normally you buy a shirt, this is a bit on the side here, but you normally buy a, a work shirt with a, for, meant for a tie. As soon as you take the tie off, it sort of goes flat yep. underneath your jacket. Yeah. And I guess that's where a style consultant is pretty important because I, I go into a store now, to, to, if I, uh, I rarely go into a store, but if I was going to a store to buy some shirts, I'd want the sort of shirt that, like you've got on your. I've just noticed your shirts; they sit, the collar sits nice around the jacket, even though there's no tie on it. Yep. Um, and that what most people don't understand is that somebody has sat down and thought of this shit. Yeah. That's where the style consultants come in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why we have you know numerous different types of collars or or cuffs because a lot of guys just have that one cuff that or collar that they that they prefer, and so we can just make all your shirts with that with that collar forever. Yeah, I, I love it. I, mean, I, I haven't really got a chance to talk about the technology, but I, I just, I know I'm getting um, wound up here by our producer, but um, I just want to quickly talk about the technology because the, the technology is probably the most impressive part of all this because the whole thing works fairly seamlessly, I guess. But how did you, you're not technologists, but how did you get all this shit built? Like, uh, you so know. So when we, when we first started the business, we had, had no cash. So to start with, we, with a credit card, we're using one of the sort of offshore sort of, you know, sites. Um, and so we spent, I think, five, maybe 10 grand getting a website built. As soon as that was complete, um, we were like, this is crap. We can't use this. So then we started sort of going around getting a lot of quotes and the quotes were sort of, you know, 100, 200 grand. Yeah. We didn't have any cash. And so then we um, ended up um, giving a little bit of equity away to a web developer who built us our first website. From there, it's evolved. And if we fast forward to where we're at now, We've got a team of six developers in our business, and because we see ourselves as being a technology business, 100%. that also has um, a retail presence. Um, but yeah, so our our um, our developers have built a really good um, full stack um, that fully integrates with our supply chain. So you can go online, you can use interactive design tools to customize every aspect of the suit or shirt online. Um, you can enter your measurements where you could measure your favorite suit, have someone measure your body or um, come in and get measured by one of our style consultants um, in-store. Really good video instructions on how to do that process. And then once the order gets um, placed, it's that technology stack that's so seamless that integrates with our um, our fabric mills, that integrates with our manufacturer, that integrates with our, our freight forwarders and, and courier companies, but then also um, provides that sort of transparent um, 
uh, you know, order, order flow um, back to the customer and to our staff. Our view is that that transparency through technology reduces, um, I guess, the need for, um, you know, customers to phone up saying, hey, where's what's Well, it gets, gets rid of the friction. So it just makes it easy. Um, and, and I guess that's what the technology stack, particularly in terms of the supply chain part, is really important, um, and and I, I, I look. It's probably for another time that we talk about the technology because it's it's probably it's it's a major component of why your business is is successful, because the whole thing is fairly well fairly frictionless, um, and uh, and I, I guess what we have talked about today is what you offer to the consumer, um, which sort of sits in front of the technology, you know that that experience, and I think that's a really important part of the business. And how long have you guys been doing this for? Uh, seven years now. Seven years. Well, you know, in terms of seven years, you've achieved a lot. Like, I mean, particularly given that you've got this massive technology sort of sitting behind the, running the business and what it allows you to do is not to have too many people because that costs money. Um, it, it gets rid of the friction, as I said. It stops. It should stop a lot of the delays. It gives you analytics so you can do an, an, an analysis of what works, what doesn't work and where you should concentrate. And then it allows you to drive more more stuff at the front end through Instagram and LinkedIn or whatever else, wherever you're, whatever platforms you're using. So then you can, again, analyse that sort of stuff and work out what does work and what doesn't work. So it, it's you've achieved a lot in seven years. That's quite amazing to me, both at only 32 years of age. Um, the business is, where's the business going to go to from here? What, what happens? Um, so right now we've got 11 showrooms. We've got um, 10 here in Australia, one in, one in the US. Um, we have one um, David Jones concession, and we're um, we're looking forward to seeing how that continues to to grow and develop. But um, we are looking at offshore markets as well. We see a big opportunity in the UK, and then further down the track, we do see an opportunity in mainland China. But we that's not a decision we'll we'll make lightly to go and enter China because you see lots of Western brands, um, you know, fail quite quickly over there. But um, yeah, I mean, we do see um, the UK as our next. Um, um, most likely sort of, you know, offshore expansion location and where we can sort of look to sort of, you know, see some continued growth. Fantastic. And what's your one question for me? It was actually around that. Um, and so we see a huge amount of growth opportunity and continued growth here in Australia, but we do see um, other opportunities offshore. Should we be, um, you know, fully utilising the Australian opp- opportunity before we do look at going offshore or should we, you know, have a crack and, and throw ourselves in. Um, if you did decide to go offshore, I would I would um, ring fence the Australian operation from the offshore operation so that if something goes wrong in the offshore operation, it doesn't filter back to the Australian operation. I mean, you might want to use the same technology and all that sort of stuff, but I wouldn't in an entity sense because um, a lot of people fail when they start expanding. Um, there's only two of you. Um, these The offshore piece will require a lot of your time individually, both, both your times. Um, and then, of course, once you start doing the offshore stuff, that means you're no longer got your hands on the till here, which may, might mean your Australian operation will, will suffer and you might not succeed in the offshore. So for me, unless this was absolutely bulletproof here in Australia, I wouldn't be looking to go anywhere at this stage. And once I do go somewhere, I would make sure that the cash flow from Australia and or the business fundamentals in Australia are not used for the offshore deal. I'd be looking to get a partner and I would ring, ring fence that business completely from the operations here so one thing doesn't um, bleed back into the other if there's a problem. I wouldn't put anything that you've built here at risk. Um, if you're asking me, I don't know about your industry, I don't, I don't understand the rate trade, I don't understand retail, that, that type of retail selling. Um, all I know that is that um, when you – it looks like there's a massive market, a really address, big addressable market in the UK, for example um, – but those markets, their markets, oh, I can only talk about financial services, but their markets are totally different to ours for some reason. There's a whole lot of shit we don't understand. And also, you're, you're going to be foreigners going into another environment um, and you don't get as much help as you might get here. So unless you've tapped out here, I guess my answer to you is unless you're tapped out here, in other words, you can't expand any more here, I would just stay here and tap, I would... I would fulfill. I would fill the Australian market to to the edges before I move overseas. And I don't know where, whether you're in that position or not. Are you? Do you think you've tapped out here? No, we've still got a lot more growth here in Australia. So I think that's some pretty good advice. Uh, yeah, I, I just and I and I'll be frank with you too. Like the UK is in a fucking mess. 
a total mess. I mean, like property prices are down by 45%, residential property prices. The whole Brexit thing is going to cause drama for a long period of time. Um, in some ways, that might be a good reason to be there, by the way, Brexit. But at the same time, it's it, it, you don't go into confusing markets. You don't go into markets unless there's a rising tide. UK is not in a rising tide. People have, got not, have not got more money in their pocket. And it's more than likely until Brexit is solved, they're going to have less money in their pocket, which means they're less likely to um, expand into, you know, adventure with someone like yourselves. That's an adventure. You know, you're 32, you've got plenty of time. Um, you're, you've been on an adventure for the last seven years, you're just starting to get things nice and smoothly running. Is that Would that be right? Things, yeah. Yep. I mean, maybe enjoy it for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how long you've been enjoying the smooth running, but just enjoy it for a little bit. You're married? Oh, I'm about married. to be. About to be? Yep. You are? Yep. Kids? No kids. Okay, well, that's next. Um, so just, you know, I, I tried to do this many years ago. I, I expanded to India and I was going to go from India around the world. And I actually went too fast and the GFC hit. So that just killed off the whole thing. But in financial services, um, sometimes it's good just to just enjoy your successes and just cruise a little bit. Wait for everything to settle down. You know, because if, if you run into a Brexit like I ran into the GFC, GFC, no one knew it was coming, but it, like I ran into it, that just carves everything up. You just, just, Tear the money up, forget about it, it's gone, finish, you can't do anything about it. I reckon Brexit's got a chance of doing that. Europe's got a chance of having a big problem right now, economically. So maybe just just see out what Boris Johnson's got to do and uh, then make your plans next year. October 31st, after o- that. October 31st. <laughs> well, yeah, but then you, you know, it won't happen on October 31. Yeah, no. It'll be another delay because yeah, sure. it's too much at stake. So once once England, UK and Europe are out of their the dramas, I would be thinking that because there's nothing worse than jumping into a messy sea. You know, you just you want to at least jump in when it's nice and flat and you can see the bottom. Yep, good advice. Thanks, guys. Brilliant. I, I, I really think uh, I love your business being a technology-driven menswear retailer, but technology-driven. It's so cool. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.